0: Am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to Praise, the program that connects faith and daily life. On today's programme, we're looking at women in ministry, a Roman Catholic nun with a global mission that even includes the World Wide Web, and as praise goes off on pilgrimage again, I'll be talking to two women facing their own challenges of ordination in the Anglican Church. But first, music by Sylvia Burnside.
1: I see a face in every sunrise The colours of the morning inside your eyes the world awakens in the light of the day Up power in the moonlit night Where planets are in motion And galaxies are bright
0: Sylvia Burnside with the New Irish Choir and Orchestra and Beautiful. Sylvia says, we all need song. It represents all that makes us human, the edges of mortal life exposed and suspended in a depth of soul and emotion.
1: I see your face, you're beautiful.
0: Ignatius Loyola was a young Spaniard born at the end of the 16th century who grew up dreaming of being a knight, fighting battles and doing great things. But Ignatius was seriously wounded in a battle with the French and whilst recovering he experienced a total conversion. Reading about the life of Jesus Christ made him realise the great things he wanted to do were in the service of God and not on the battlefield. In due course, he became a priest and, with a small group of friends, founded the Society of Jesus, known today as the Jesuits, dedicated then, as now, to serving the community and helping people to get closer to God through something called Ignatian spirituality. Ignatius ran into some difficulties when two prominent women of his time wanted to join the Jesuits. One was the daughter of the King of Spain, and it's not easy to say no to a powerful ruler. So Ignatius wrote into the rule of his order that it was for men only. Responding to this, a Yorkshire woman, Mary Ward, founded the Congregation of Jesus, an order for women who wanted to live a life dedicated to serving God and the community, just as the male Jesuits were doing, based also on this Ignatian spirituality. Effectively, Mary Ward started an order of Ignatian nuns, My first guest today is a present-day Sister of the Congregation of Jesus, and a particularly energetic one. Gemma Simmons is an author, broadcaster, lecturer, and retreat director who teaches this Ignatian spirituality. So is the perfect person to explain it to us. But let's begin with the inevitable question. What, I wondered, attracted Gemma Simmons to the religious life? I was brought up by the sisters I
2: eventually joined. I was educated by them from the age of three and a half. And even quite early on, I noticed that these were clever women, loving women, funny. They had such a sense of humour. They were such people and they were just the most fantastic role models. And I remember as life went on, I kept thinking, I want to be like them. I want I want to live life to the full the way I see these women doing it. And um,
0: I've never regretted it. The words Ignatian spirituality sounds like something that I wouldn't be able to understand. But that's Uh, not actually the truth, is it? Not remotely. Actually, Ignatius himself would have been very embarrassed, I think,
2: and bewildered by the term Ignatian spirituality. He never thought of starting a spiritual movement in any way All he did was say to people, when you pray with the scriptures, you can use your imagination and you can get in touch with your deepest desires and you can make friends with Jesus. You can make friends with the people in the Bible, the people in the story. So for Ignatius, story was really important and imagination was really important And also getting in touch with our deepest desires was important. And it seems to me that that's something anyone could do, because most of us like a good story. Most of us can use our imaginations. And most of us want to find out what our deep desires are. It's only it's sometimes we find that quite difficult. So someone who comes along and says, I can help you with that and I can help you, therefore, to
0: live your life to the full. I think that's uh, a spirituality for everybody. You are quoted as having said that what appeals to you about Ignatian spirituality is its versatility and the fact that it crosses denominations, that it crosses cultures, that it does literally speak to everybody. Absolutely. I taught in the University
2: of London in the Jesuit theology faculty at Heathrop College up to its closure last year. And I taught Ignatian spirituality and I had the most amazing array of people. I had people from the Salvation Army. I had Pentecostals. I had Catholics. I had Orthodox. I had people who were sincere seekers but said... I don't know whether I'm really a Christian or not. I don't know whether I belong to a denomination or not. I just know that I have a longing for something beyond the immediate. I'm looking for a spiritual path. And all of them found that this was a way of thinking about prayer, thinking about entering into a relationship with God that fitted where they were coming from. And, you know, some of them were in ministry of some sort, but I had bankers and lawyers and people in the media and stay-at-home mums and people who worked in shops. I mean, all sorts. And it worked for them. I've spent a lot of my life saying, we are wired for God as human beings. We believe in in the Christian and Jewish traditions that we're made in the image and likeness of God. And so we're kind of hardwired for the things that are beyond the immediate. I think people have a capacity for prayer. And there was a an American monk called Thomas Merton, who was very famous in the second half of the 20th century. And he has a lovely quotation, prayer is discovering what you already have. So it's not a thing about, you know, I've got to, to go outside myself and find some weird and spiritual and spooky thing. It's about going inwards and discovering what's already there. And, you know, I spent 26 years working as a, as a prison chaplain, a volunteer chaplain in a women's prison. And I found those women had a huge capacity for prayer. I've worked in the favelas of Brazil with women and children on the streets. They had an amazing capacity for prayer. It's been one of my great privileges in the last 10, 20 years to work in Africa, right across Africa, to work in Latin America, to work in the former communist countries of Eastern Europe. And I keep meeting people who are longing for God and who are discovering in themselves a capacity for relationship with God that they never knew they had.
0: There are so many things that I I would love to talk to you about. But the thing that really interests me is your online presence, which is Pray As You Go. Uh It's an online prayer resource. And you were very much at the heart of developing this, weren't you?
2: I was. It was one of my great privileges to be invited to come on to the small group that devised prayers you go it was the brainchild really of a Jesuit priest called Peter Scally who's up in Scotland now and he's got a tremendous capacity for communication and he said look we now live in a time where most people are are time poor. Spare time comes in very, very short supply. So if people have this idea that in order to pray, you have to kind of go away to some great echoing cathedral and kneel there for hours on end in silence, people just haven't got that. But what they have got is snatches of time when they're on their way to work or on their way back home from work or, you know, just maybe 10 minutes during the day where we could help them both to feel that they're not on their own that they're connected to a network of people who are praying but also that they can feel that if somebody could just help them to take them through a few reflective minutes we started this as a lenten project and you know we thought okay it's just for a couple of weeks during lent let's see how it goes And by the end of Lent, we were getting such tremendous feedback. We realised we've actually got to keep this going. We'd better keep it going through Easter and to Pentecost. And when we got to Pentecost, we thought "Mm, we can't stop now. And away we went. And by a couple of years in, we were having over a million downloads a minute from people all over the world. We actually did a questionnaire asking people, when do you listen to this stuff? And we got all sorts of answers, but a lot of people seem to listen to it when they're walking their dogs. So there's some very holy dogs out there.
0: (laughs) Let's just go through it, basically. Well, if you go to prayersyougo.org okay. and the first thing that you get on the homepage is quite simply a calendar, a square for every day. Click on the day and you get a beautiful image. You get words, a, a reflection, some music, some direction as to, to what you might think about, another mm-hmm. chance to listen to the reading, think again with some more questions. It's very simple. I think today's was about 15 minutes. The music is just paced correctly, just to, to get you to, to relax in a quite a short space of time, it strikes me as though an awful lot of preparatory prayer goes in before it comes out. Absolutely, I mean, I write some of the scripts for
2: prayers you go, and you're given a piece of scripture, and the idea is to help people to get into that scripture by giving them a couple of leading questions, as it were. But you don't want people to feel that they're being kind of interrogated by the secret police, you know. You want to give them a question that might lead them a little bit deeper, lead them to go a bit further. And the most important thing that Ignatius himself would ask anyone is, how does this make you feel? Because a lot of us live in our heads a great deal of the time, and particularly people who are terribly busy. It's very easy for us to get cut off from our feelings. So, Ignatius's question was always when we entered into a piece of scripture, How does this make you feel? What is it that you want right now? And, you know, Jesus very often, when he met someone, would say to them, What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And as it says in the song, you know, some of us find it quite difficult to know what we really, really want. And so, to ask people, just relax physically. You know, we pray with our bodies, take a few deep breaths, help yourself to relax, see where this piece of scripture takes you and what are your feelings? What is your response? What do you want? And can you have a conversation with Jesus about this or with God or with whoever it is that you're connecting with? That's really all it does. But I think for many people, it helps them to get out of their heads and into that space of longing that we all have for connectedness, for depth. I mean, I have friends who are school teachers who use it with a school class at the end of the day, just to help the children to develop their own capacity, which, in my experience, children have a huge capacity for being contemplative and for imagination and also for getting in touch with their own desires and it's a wonderful thing to use at any age and in any way of life
3: Amém
0: Music from Dave Bilborough. And before that, I was talking with Gemma Simmons of the Congregation of Jesus. And the website we were discussing is prayasyougo.org. It works on any computer, laptop, tablet or smartphone. And if you don't have internet access yourself, why not ask a friend or family member and have a look at it together? And now we return to another in our Praise on Pilgrimage series, sharing interviews I recorded in Israel last November, whilst on pilgrimage, led jointly by Rev. Steve Ingruel, the Methodist minister from Onken, his father, Rev. Rod Ingruel, and Rev. Dawn Harrison, an Anglican priest in ministry in Lancashire. Whilst in Jerusalem, we went to St. George's Anglican Cathedral for a bilingual service of Holy Communion, conducted in both English and Arabic by the Dean of the Cathedral, the very Reverend Hossam Neum. Before the service started, I noticed Reverend Dawn deep in conversation with another young woman in a clerical collar, who then went on to assist the Dean in the service we attended. The young woman's name is Stephanie Burette And afterwards, Dawn explained that this was much more than just the meeting of two women in ministry.
4: Stephanie is the first female that has ever been allowed to work at St. George's Cathedral in Jerusalem in its entire history. And what we experienced this morning in my eyes, in my mind, in my spirit is a miracle. 2014 was my first visit here. 2014 it would just not have been possible to even imagine that we could have a female deacon in this place. Coming here has always been a little bit difficult, made me quite angry at times in that it is a beautiful cathedral and Dean Hassan is just absolutely amazing. But knowing as a female priest that they're not in a place back in 2014 that they could ha- have women really jarred with me because I am convinced in my soul that God's called me to this ministry and he calls other women to this ministry as well. So it's just been really difficult to to know a place and know the amazing work that they do but also where they were at in 2014 over women. So I've had an awareness, I've followed this place since 2014, and on every pilgrimage that we brought here, Dean Hassan has come and spoken to the group. And on one of my visits, he made me a promise that things would change. He said to me, but I need your help. I need you to wear your collar more and more when you're in Jerusalem, because it's people like you, ordained priests in the Church of England, that will raise the profile of women just by wearing your collar so I promised that I would wear my collar and on Sunday morning he said I made you a promise, I kept my promise and he looked at me in my collar and he went, and you kept your promise. I said, absolutely. And it made my heart sing. I never ever in my wildest imaginations thought I would see it happen. Dean Hassan is a man of his word. He's a man of prayer. And I absolutely trusted him that things would change. And I kept my promise no matter how painful it has been at times while I've been over here to wear my collar. But for me, seeing Stephanie, an ordained deacon, working in this place, being accepted in this place, made me cry tears of joy.
0: (laughs) Do you think that one of the biggest problems here in the Holy Land is a cultural one?
4: Is it how women are perceived? I think it's a number of things. And this is just my opinions, my reflections of having been four times to the Holy Land now. I think it's a cultural thing men are more the dominant within this culture. The churches therefore then have a very difficult journey. In order to remain culturally relevant in this place, they need to respect the culture but also at the same time, when it's right, they need to slightly challenge to help move things forward, not just for me, but for the women that live here. I think for me, it's about how can the church here support women more and more. I think it's as big a step here for a woman being able to work here as it was when we put a man on the moon. I think it's that big a deal. When I come out here, I wear, as Dean Hassan said a few years ago, I will wear my collar more and more around Jerusalem. But places that I know aren't in the place to accept female ordination or have made it very clear they're just not there yet, they're sorry, but this is their stance, then out of respect to that, I will either remove my collar or wrap my shoulder around it. In my way, I am respecting where they're at because they are being open and honest about it. And by me covering up my collar, it makes it easier for the group. What I really struggled with was one particular site we went to where we didn't know. We had from their website, from the information we had, from what our guide knew, we had no idea that they didn't agree with female ordination. So I'm walking around with my collar on, and all we wanted to do was to gather it in one of their spaces and pray because it was the last day of our pilgrimage. But I, by being present in my collar, managed to offend them because I may have been led by the Holy Spirit to break bread, which for them would have been illegal would have been against what they believe, and they were so adamant that I couldn't do anything. Therefore, they could guarantee that I hadn't broken their rules, which I found really difficult because if that's their position, however painful it is for me, I will never in any sight do anything to offend if you don't agree with female ordination I trusted myself, I trusted God, but in that place I felt quite strongly that you need to see this colour and you need to know I, as a woman, would not do anything to go against your theology, no matter how painful it was for me.
0: Anglican priest, Reverend Dawn Harrison, talking there about the sensitivity needed as an ordained woman visiting the Holy Land, and the joy at finding a woman deacon working in the cathedral in Jerusalem. She's Stephanie Burette, and as you'll hear in this conversation, she has a very interesting background.
5: I was raised an atheist in France, and I went to England when I was studying for my PhD. And uh, a friend told me that there was a beautiful choir in a college, and I should just come for music, which I did, but I realized there was so much more. The prayers, the readings, uh, the whole atmosphere in, in the in the chapel was absolutely marvellous, and I saw the first female priest in my life, <laughs> and I thought, oh wow, oh wow, maybe this is what I want to do. <laughs> I just finished seminary in uh, May, and I was ordained a deacon in Paris at the American Cathedral. There's a partnership between my seminary in the States and St. George's College in Jerusalem, and I applied for this fellowship, it's the Porter Fellowship, and I came here. I arrived on the 2nd of September, and I'm here until the end of May. I love it. It is fascinating, especially being trained in the States. I mean, I'm French, but I was converted in England, and then I went to the States, and now I find myself in Jerusalem, which is a very, very different context. For women clergy, of course, women were ordained in England a long time ago, in America even longer, and I find myself here living again the challenges that women went through in England, in the States, but also it's eye-opening being in a different culture and being aware of insecurities, tensions. The context is very, very different. I think it's very humbling, also given the history of my own country and Western countries, to be able to listen carefully, pay attention and be respectful at the same time, being able to stand firm for what we believe in. I hope I can be a priest for all people, to be honest. Uh, It's very interesting for me to be a French, but ordained in the Episcopal Church, uh, but converted in England. I find myself always between cultures, also probably between different theologies, and uh, how can we uh, bring people together in conversation, but also feel that they are the body of Christ, the same body, with all our differences, and to be able to recognize them, and with strong, strong identities can also live together, work together, worship together, serve together. People talk about the land as the fifth gospel, and it's so true that things come alive here. You see the sights and you can imagine the land has changed and and cities have changed, but you can really walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And you get to see places and people that I can give you an example, the other day, there was um, a little daughter who was uh, waiting in a shop with her father, she couldn't find her father at some point, she said, Abba. And suddenly, (laughs) you realize that this word resonates also in you.
3: Ah.
0: Deacon Stephanie Burette, adding another dimension to her priestly training by serving as part of the ministry team in the Cathedral Church of St. George in Jerusalem. Back now to Reverend Dawn. From instantly recognising the owner of a stray pair of sunglasses or a scarf left on a bench, to leading times of prayer and reflection, Reverend Dawn Harrison needs more than just her deep and abiding love for these places to be an effective pilgrimage leader.
4: All of it's in the hands of the Lord. When we get to a particular site, we get Susie, our guide, to give us an explanation of it, to help it put it into context for people. And then we have a reading and or a song or a thought. We put a worship booklet together with all the Bible readings in. And then we have, as pilgrim leaders, we have a separate book with possible thoughts that we've put together beforehand. Quite often, if you were to look at the notes that I have brought with me and you'd recorded some of what I'd spoken, you'd go, they don't match. And that's because you're absolutely right. We are completely guided by God's Spirit. And sometimes you would see us in the corner going, oh, I think, no, I think. And that's because what we've planned needs tweaking, something's going on. So we completely rely on the Holy Spirit and God's grace and guidance and wisdom while we're out here. I have come to learn that while we are out here, we plant seeds and sometimes we get the privilege of seeing an emotion, as we saw with some people that we took early morning yesterday to Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and seeing them touch the stone where the cross was. And at that moment, you can just see in their eyes, in their emotions, that something has touched them. So we do get to see little bits like that. But a lot of what we do here is we plant seeds and we let God water them, and every now and then, at home, months down the line, a name may come into my head and I'll pray for them, but no, we don't get to see where it leads. And I'm okay with that, because our job while we're here is give people as much experience as we can, and as much time at each site as we possibly can, and the rest is up to God.
0: Reverence Dawn, Steve and Rod will lead another pilgrimage to the Holy Land in 2021. And if you'd like to know more, have a word with Reverend Steve, Methodist Minister in Onken, on 674-464. And there'll be more Praise on Pilgrimage interviews in future programmes. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead.
3: The Nation Station, Manx Radio